this is Mary J. Blige. I'm Nicki Minaj. What's up, what's up? This is Jay-Z. From London, England, and Washington, D.C., you are now tuned in to Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Hear, brought to you by Ethel May Books. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Alison J, The Journey to Hear. I'm Alison J. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, like and share. Today we'll be speaking to Stacey McDonald. Stacey is a practicing school psychologist, evangelist, author, public speaker and former lead pastor of 10 years. She has trained ministers for leadership, equipping them for ministerial success in and out of the pulpit and provided biblical counseling to families, couples, and youth, resulting in healthy minds and healthy homes. She provides mental health workshops and seminars for businesses, schools, and places of worship. And she also hosts weekly live stream mental health empowerment sessions on all leading social media platforms. Having a father with schizophrenia, as well as her own personal battle with depression, Mental health awareness is more than her lived experience. It is her core and passion. Stacy has been touched by the resilience of humankind. The infinite potential born from this pain is nothing short of miraculous. And to be a midwife to such encouraged her writing of the gospel of mental health, from mental health to mental wellness, with an accompanying journal and workbook to serve as an inspiring guide and workbook for anyone else who is seeking mental health from among the embers of mental health. Stacy lives in Lexington, Kentucky with her husband, where they have raised three children and are the proud grandparents of a vivacious four-year-old granddaughter. Well, Stacy, first of all, I would like to thank you for joining us here on Conversations with Alison Jay, the journey to hear. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us, educate us, and basically help some of us on the journey to mental wellness. It is an absolute honor to be here. Uh, any conversations that we can have in regard to keeping mental health awareness alive mm -hmm. uh, could potentially save a life. So it is an absolute honor to be here. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. I was intrigued by the title of your book, and that is so attention grabbing because I don't think we quite sum it up and look at it as somebody being in mental health and I have my copy <laughs> and I have read it and I couldn't put it down because to have you phrase it from mental health to mental wellness and I think anybody that has never suffered with any form of mental illness will never be able to appreciate and understand it is literally like being in a mental health so if you don't mind in your own words can you tell us a bit more about why this topic and what inspired the title of your book? Oh my goodness, that, that's a loaded question. I, I believe that even what I was born into was my inspiration. Uh, as you read in the book, in regard to my family dynamics, a beautiful family. I have three wonderful siblings, two boys, two girls, typical family. Um, even more, I would say, special was that we were raised in the church. I mean, we lived in the church. And so uh, you've got this two-parent home, you've got uh, these children in this home being reared up together who mm -hmm. lo 
love the Lord. And yet out of the blue, my father began to show some very bizarre symptoms, uh, symptoms that sometimes was uh, included physical abuse, uh, bizarre things such as urinating in the middle of the living room floor. Now I'm a child watching this happen. No, no uh, red flags before this, wonderful dad before this, but he began to unravel in his mid to late twenties. I was between the ages of about four and five watching my, uh, what I'd learned about social, um, my social construct was completely deconstructed before my eyes. Well, he was diagnosed by medical professionals with schizophrenia. He was diagnosed by the church that we loved and attended on almost a daily basis as being uh, possessed with devils. And so having that experience and seeing uh, him being estranged, pulled away from all that we knew, of course, me not understanding and, and really not understanding to the point where I feel as if he couldn't possibly love me. He he mm. couldn't possibly want to be in my life. Well, the truth of the matter is he couldn't help himself. He, he did not know how to love through this and he needed someone to walk alongside him. So I think that early experience and of course later things as well would show that, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. There, there is a gospel to this. There is some good news to this. You don't have to walk in the dark alone. You can have someone walk alongside you because truth of the matter is no one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to scare my family to death with suicidal ideation thoughts. Uh, no one wakes up in the morning and says, with a fresh cup of coffee, I want to uh, display manic behaviors where I engage in sexual risky behaviors and, and spend all my money. No one wakes up and says that. And so we've got to see these signs and once we see the signs and recognize the signs, don't push them away, pull them close, share the good news with them, let them know that you don't have to go through this hell by yourself. And like David said, even when I open up my eyes in hell, lo, thou art with me. You're not by yourself. There is good news. We can go from mental health to mental wellness, but it's going to take community to do so. 100%. And you've touched on so many things, Stacey, that I had made notes of that I wanted to discuss with you. So thank you for opening and leading into that. Because one of the things that I wanted to speak to you, and I think we'll get to that towards the end, is basically your own journey. Where you speak, you've mentioned in your book and just now of your father's journey with mental illness and the effect that it had on you. And later on, I want to talk to you about having unresolved issues from childhood that affects a person's future. Because a lot of times people don't stop to think about that what somebody is going through today isn't the result of something that happened yesterday. It could be the result of things that happened years ago and just being built up and built up and built up. And there's this expression, so, <laughs> and it just came to mind. So growing up, so I'm born and raised in London, but my mother's from Jamaica. And there's an expression that says, it's not the same day that the leaf drops to the water bottom that it rots. Wow, love that. And if you think about it, that that's the same with everything else in life, isn't it? It's not the something to do with somebody's mental health journey, their story. It's not the result of something that happened this morning or yesterday. It, it could possibly be a culmination of things that build up from even as early as childhood, because you mentioned about yourself and what you experienced and witnessed as a child. So that's all things that I want to touch on later because these are all chapters in your book. So that's, so thank you so much. Because one of the things I really want to dive into 
and you mentioned it just now, is Christianity and depression, Christianity and mental illness. Because the, the misconception is Christians don't suffer or struggle from mental illness or depression, right? Because all we need to do is open the good book and all we need to do is pray and read the word and pray and fast and call on the elders of the church. And then that's going to be it almost as though like some magic wand, magic blanket covers people that are Christians. And it's a case of the misconception that Christians don't struggle with and suffer with everyday life issues, everyday life struggles. And from what we see and know, that's dangerous and damaging, right? It is absolutely, it's so damaging that we have people in the church that are shouting, that are dancing, that are speaking in tongues, going home, crying themselves to sleep, closing the blinds and wishing that they weren't alive. We have mm -hmm. Elijah's out there calling down fire from heaven. And the next time that you see him, he is under a solitary broom tree praying that he might die. Mm -hmm. We have Jonah that's going to minister to multitudes. And then after that saying, I just, I wish I'd never been here. I wish I wasn't alive because of that. And so we, we've got to be so careful when it comes to the church. But if we ever really read the Bible, if we ever really open what we call in the good book, we would see that it is riddled with human beings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that have human issues, that have David experiencing depression, that have prophets experiencing suicidal ideation, that have others that you can look at in their characteristics and see that they're carrying a heavy load. I mean, my goodness, mm -hmm. you can see so much. You can look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, praying uh, to, with such fervency and anxiety has taken over him. How do we know? Because uh, what he's experiencing is hematidrosis to where his capillaries are breaking uh, because he's under so much stress. And the Bible says that great drops of blood, sweat mm. blood, fell from his face in anxiety. This is why we call him the high priest who can be touched or empathize with the feelings of our infirmities. He let us know, baby, you're human. Right. But baby, you're human. And because you're human, you're going to have experiences. And those experiences may cause some very human emotions. And because you're human, you're going to have to learn how to process some things. You're going to have to learn how to talk through some things. There may be times uh, that God allows us to have to take medication. You did it for the high blood pressure. You did it for chemo. You did it for, uh, you know, all these other things. There may be times uh, where you, your healing does not come overnight, where you have to go through the process of healing so that you can help your other brother and your other sister go through the process of healing. Think about Peter. Uh, the Lord told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Could the Lord have caused him to not deny him three times? That is 100% true. Yes. yes. But what, why does he let him go through it? He says, when, when this is done, I want you to go to your brothers and strengthen your brothers. Mm -hmm. There are some things that we go through and God allows us to go through it. And it's for the purpose of after this, there's somebody that needs to know how I can overcome, how I can get better, how mm -hmm. I can go toward my healing. And what you said there is, so true because being a Christian does not make you exempt from human experiences because there's a very popular saying that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and from that human experience comes everything that comes with being human be that 
like you said, suicidal ideations, be that depression, be that anxiety. Some people that are Christian suffer from um, addictions as yes. well. We are not exempt because we are having a human experience. So thank you so much for touching on that. And as you said, it is so dangerous that we just keep putting this blanket over things because we're Christians and we're not supposed to. Who says we're not supposed to? And it's like you said, it's like, so it's all right for people to take the insulin for their diabetes. It's all right for them to take the medication for the high blood pressure. It's okay for them to take a pain pill for a headache. But the minute you mental, mention mental illness and the medication that comes with it or the treatment even that comes with it, it's this big taboo, it's this big thing. And then they wouldn't start throwing scriptures of you like be, you know, let this mind be in you as is in Jesus Christ or take every thought captive, cast down imaginations. But sometimes we need help. Like I mean, that person didn't already try that. Like who you're talking to and telling that scripture too with such confidence and authority, like they didn't try that, like they weren't trying to cast down and pull down, like they weren't praying and fasting. It, it, it really is belittling of the person that you're speaking to to act mm. like they didn't have enough common sense, enough faith to, to try things, to try something before. <laughs> and that you know, again, that is so true because um, when you think about it, I and mean, you said it earlier, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "You know what I'm going to do today." I'm going to run out in the street naked because that's one of the things that we've seen people do, right? Nobody gets up with that thought to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little bored and my knife needs spicing up. So I'm just going to go outside naked and just walk around like nothing. Or I'm going to just take a handful of pills because let me see what will happen as a result. Nobody wakes up in the morning with those thoughts. It takes time. So I like how you've put that, that, it's like people are not credited with having enough common sense to try something first because we all know when we're not feeling right and sometimes we can't put our finger on it and I remember I used to say to my mom mom I don't know what it is but I'm feeling all out of sorts at the moment and I couldn't put my finger on it but I knew something didn't feel right something felt off if we want to use that word and so people know that and we all know ourselves we all know our bodies how many times have people gone to the doctor and the doctor said something and they're like no mm -mm, I'm going to get a second opinion because I don't feel that is it so we do know and we do try so thank you so much because sometimes I'm going to be honest I hear people quoting scriptures and I'm like Lord is it because I'm not really like safe for real for real why they're annoying me like <laughs> that's not saved or something because okay what you think I don't have a bible in fact I have several bibles several different versions you think I haven't read them like hello hi <laughs> hi <laughs> so, thank you and as we're talking about mental illness and mental wellness within the church it's alarming recently the number of ministers and pastors that are taking their own lives by suicide. The stress of being a pastor. It's like, do you think that the church should be doing more to help? Not just these pastors, but others that are struggling because we hear a lot about church hurt. That's the big buzz thing at the moment, right? Church hurt, the church hurt me. 
Yeah, but no, it didn't. And then, and I'm not belittling anybody that's been through, and I'm not diminishing or taking away from anybody that hasn't been through things because I don't believe the church hurt you. I just believe that there are some people within the church that were not acting in the way that they should have. They are the ones that hurt you. So that blanket statement of the church, it wasn't the church, it was people. And as we're discussing now, human beings that have issues and isms and schisms and behaving a way that's not great they hurt people so I don't want to take away from anybody that's been through things and that's not what I'm saying but we do hear a lot about church hurt and we don't hear so much about helping people with mental illness though do we we have heard over the years that mental illness as you mentioned is demon possession right we've heard over the years that we just pray and fast it away but doesn't that then add to that already that because mental health has already got a stigma attached to it right so now doesn't this just add to it by saying you're demon um, you're demon possessed rather than saying okay this could be bipolar disorder this could be schizophrenia this could be anxiety depression by by not calling it what it is and just slapping a label on it saying deep they're possessed by the devil and we need to perform an exorcism and pray and fast it away don't you think that just adds to the stigma and causes people to be less likely to come forward and seek help uh, first let's just sit back and imagine the person who is in church believing god trusting god They've got some issues. Maybe it is bipolar disorder. Maybe it is anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. They go up for prayer. And after they've done all this praying, seeking God, uh, trying within their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to, to get better. And they know they have this diagnosis or they know that something's going on, but they know it's not spiritual. They, they, they understand that this is not something demonic. After all that fighting to then go up to the church, to altar call and have something so-called be rebuked mm. out of them. Uh, mm. I've, I've seen it happen in regard to persons with autism in the audience. And, you know, they may be overstimulated, overwhelmed in the service. And somebody say, devil, no, 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 that's not it. And, and so what happens is, yes, it can make you fearful. The truth of the matter is, I pastored for 10 years, so this I can speak on in regard to the stress mm -hmm. that pastors have. They talk about church hurt. There is no church hurt, like if you're going to call it church hurt, <laughs> because it is people that hurt you. Mm -hmm. But if there was anybody that could make that statement, it's a pastor. Regarding people hurt you because there's a whole mm -hmm. lot of people and it's you, right? right? And so because in Sunday school, we learn about the books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. we learn all that stuff growing up. We we learn about Jonah and the well, Noah and the ark. We learn all that good stuff, but we don't learn coping and calming strategies. Mm -hmm. We don't learn deep breathing. We don't learn meditation. We don't learn grounding. And I cannot tell you how helpful that it is. And I can also show you where these things are in scripture as well, when it comes to how David handled uh, his struggles, how the Lord made sure he had community around him. Mm -hmm. his, not just anybody, the most intimate three around him when he was going through his most intense struggle and trial in life. And so because we did not learn these things, when we get older, of course, everything is a devil. Now, <laughs> in many of our homes, we heard the statement, what goes on in this house stays in this house. <laughs> And so we had the heaviest house ever because everything stayed in that house. We had the toxic house ever because everything stayed in that house. Well, we grew up and we became adults 
And now that house, we brought that whole house into the mm-hmm. church, right? And we're continuing with those same struggles. There is a such thing that we call uh, adverse childhood experiences. And you somewhat mentioned it when you were talking about there are some things we go through in childhood. And then when it's unresolved, when we've not reconciled those things or worked through those issues, when we become an adult that affects us. What you were saying is actually research-based, that those who suffer adverse childhood experiences, that you have so many or more, then you are at greater risk for mental health disorders. You have greater risk for physical sickness. When when I mean physical sickness, I mean uh, heart disease, obesity, yes, even addiction. Based When you talk about my dad in regard to his schizophrenia. He went through so much abuse as a child uh, in a group home that he was in. And so you kind of begin to see, okay, there's some connecting the dots here. And if we ever did go back to childhood. And so when we say childhood, I say church, let's start in Sunday school. Let's teach our children. In, you're still in Bible. You're not pulling away from Bible. I know that makes people nervous. You're not pulling away from Bible, but you're showing what David did. You're showing what the psalmist did. You're showing what Job did. You're showing what Jesus did. And you're teaching them how to do the same thing, how to recognize feelings, how to talk about those feelings, how to journal those feelings, how to breathe that ruach in and out. Let's start there so that when we become adults, we'll be less heavy from the houses that we came from. And I like what you've said there, because we talk, you're talking about coping and calming strategies. And I've actually, that's one of my points that I wanted to mention and discuss with you. It's, it's again, we are people in the church, the church, call it what you will, are so fearful of not teaching Bible, but meditation is biblical. <laughs> Just but I throw that out there. But meditation is actually biblical, right? It's biblical. How many times, I should have Googled it before we came on, but how many times is the word meditate in the Bible? A lot. So it's it's so interesting that it's like we just, like people just cherry pick. And one of the things I think I'm realizing is what people don't know or understand, they unfortunately don't want to deal with. And then unfortunately they do things like, oh, the person's demon possessed or that person's a reprobate or that person, whatever. And then stick all these negative labels on them when if they were just on, it's just like, you know, and to say, you know what? We don't know how to deal with this. Right. And you know, and that's okay because then people, then they can go and seek out people that do know how to deal with it. And there are so many people that work in the mental health field that actually are believers and go to church, tap into the resources that you have, just just the thought, you know, because we are losing, and I don't, and I don't know if it's because of this day and age of social media, why we're hearing about it more, but just the last few years, the number of pastors that I've seen taking their lives, and in my head, I'm thinking, what is going on, and what we're missing, clearly we are missing something here and it does and to me it actually looks worse on the church we keep referring to the church as a body if these ministers and these pastors are taking their lives it's just like so if we're not helping our own how are we expected to help others and outside of that then is another expression that I used to hear growing up you know thank god for Jamaican parents right it was basically dance a yard before you dance abroad dance at home before you go outside and dance and shouldn't we be doing that in the church when it comes to dealing with our own with that how us that have struggles with mental illness before we want to start talking to other people absolutely 
Absolutely. And oftentimes we don't have these conversations until it's too late. Until such and such has um, taken their own life. Yes. Until mm -hmm. such and such has um, attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. We don't have these conversations until it's too late. This is why I love that this book is specifically geared toward the church. Mm -hmm. uh, because this is where the conversation, I believe that the church is where the stigma started. Not not God's wow. church. I say that it's not uh, the Bible's church, but within our churches where that stigma mm -hmm. was reared up to where everything's a devil. But it was everything was always a spirit the way that I was raised. If I'm I'm eating everything, oh I got an eating spirit. <laughs> oh you cutting up. Oh you you got an acting up spirit. Oh you look at you. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Everything. So uh, because of that. Then it has made, and I don't, I don't even find myself, I would find, used to find myself saying things like that. Oh, that's mm -hmm. spirit. You know, everything is, I got to get lost spirit. Oh, <laughs> everything. <laughs> and so once we uh, get back to the Bible mm -hmm. and away from people's opinions and, I mean, people preaching these things years and years ago, which really, who really haven't, did not have an understanding of scripture. They they mm -hmm. didn't know the Greek or the Hebrew of a thing. They didn't know the context of a thing. They mm -hmm. didn't know the culture of a thing. So when we can get back to Bible and out of people's opinions, we'll find ourselves in a place of healing because that's what the Lord desires for us. I come mm -hmm. that you might have life and that you might have life more. You can't get any more of a clearer picture than that. He mm -hmm. wants us healthy. Yes. Emotionally, spiritually, he wants us healthy. Yes, and it's interesting that you touch upon like um like old school back in the day ministers because I remember um so I lived in Jamaica for a couple of years <clears throat> between the ages of 13 and 15, and there was one minister at the church. I later on got to find out, and I think he was a deacon or something, but he was in a ministerial position, but I later on got to find out he couldn't read. So it's like okay. So, like you said, so how did he study to be able to teach, to be able to then help others if he himself couldn't read? And it's not to be disparaging against him, definitely not. But it's also a case of why was the church not helping him to learn to read before they put him in the pulpit? Uh, again, asking for a friend. I just, again, another thing I'm just throwing out there. Because you already know what that answer is. I can easily give you what to say over the pulpit uh, rather than teach you to read and, and you get some knowledge straight from scripture. And I think that's what we heard a lot growing up. Thank God it's a new day. We can study to show ourselves approved in all kinds of ways. I mean, without even going to school, I can get that Hebrew and that Greek. I'm in mm -hmm. seminary now, but I was getting it before then. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what we had. We had people just preaching. You, you wear pants, you're going to hell. You wear makeup, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're outside of this denomination, you're going. To, I mean, and everybody was just puppeting what the other person was saying, mm -hmm. rather than digging deep in the Bible and said, "Wait a minute, if I keep up with this logic, everybody going to hell. God must not want nobody in heaven. He, he's going right. to be real only up there." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that you said that because I'm going to digress for a little bit because I used to think that all the time. So I grew up in a de denomination, and they were of the belief that they were the only ones and I remember like but and I says but there's a part in the bible that says many sheep have I but not of this fold and then nobody would want to answer me or anything like that and then it's a case of you couldn't wear trousers or pants I'm like why you couldn't wear makeup 
Okay, why? You couldn't wear jewelry. Okay, why? You couldn't relax your hair. Okay, I'm like, okay, relaxing was not around in the Bible days. So if there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells me I can't relax my hair, who in the Bible? So anyway, but I says, but this is interesting because like you said, I says, okay, so I can't do all of those things. What can I do? There was no answer as to what I could actually do. So I'm like, okay. So I says, so if we're going to follow the Bible to the letter, as you are following the Bible to the letter, does that mean that you don't sleep in the same room bed as your wife when it's her time of the month asking for a friend? Because that's biblical, right? Just just curious. And then I says, and oh, yeah, by the way, all of us that grew up as black people, pretty much most of us grew up with our hair being braided. The Bible tells you not to braid your hair. So I can't relax my hair, even though that's not anywhere in the Bible, but I can braid my hair, even though that tells you in the Bible, you, oh, okay, I'm okay. And I must admit, as a result of that, you see the moment, like, I think the clock struck midnight on my 18th birthday, I'm like, I'm out. Sounds <laughs> like we grew up in the same church. <laughs> I don't even think I waited. I don't even think it was 12.01. I'm like, wait, what? Midnight? I'm 18? I, right, right. I'm so gone because it was like you said, it was a lot of the things that you couldn't do. And I remember again growing up seeing people come into the church. And now that I think about it, they would come in off the streets and clearly they were suffering from mental health illnesses, challenges. And all it was, they were possessed. They were demon possessed. And now that I think about it, it's just like we realistically. We didn't help them. Right, right, right. And that breaks my heart to think about we didn't help them. I can remember the names of some of them. I think one of them, there's a couple of them that passed away um, as a result of violence because they got involved in fights and whatever. But again, I do truly believe it was down to the mental health challenges that they were dealing with and suffering. And we did not help them because all we did was slap the label possessed on it it's like you know that you've got this the stamp approved we got there's a stamp possessed and, we and didn't if they are possessed if that was the case if they really were possessed then and you said it now you said they possessed now you're supposed to have power to tread upon serpents <laughs> to cast out devils so if that was the case then when they left the church service they should have been clothed and in their right mind so somebody got it wrong. <laughs> and that's what I mean. So in yeah. no area, no aspect did we help them in any way, shape or form, you know. And that is so sad because when I look at them, predominantly it was, I'm not saying there weren't any women, but there were. But statistics show that men are more likely to take their life by suicide than women. And if we look at men's mental health and suicide, and for example, if we look at, come on, I think one of the biggest shockers in the world was Robin Williams. Hello. Yeah. Robin Williams. If we look at the, um, there's another TV personality, Anthony Bourdain. And more recently, the gentleman Stephen, Twitch boss. Mm -hmm. And we look at these men that, to the outside eye, everything was great. They were living their best life, so to speak. They had families and children and homes and successful careers. But then something was obviously amiss if these men, and not just these men, took their lives by suicide. And my thing is, how do we reach more men to give them that safe space? Because I'm sure if we could reach more men and give them that safe space, I'm sure we could 
be saving their lives, surely. Absolutely. I uh, Before I came here, I rushed here. I spent the night with my father, who's in the hospital right now, uh, not doing well. He's in a lot of pain. I'm sorry. And watching him. Now, I had been in hospital with many women before and, mm. you know, to be there and you need such and such. Yes, I need such and such. You need just those pillows. Yes, I need just those. You need to. Yes, yes. So the women are speaking. Mm -hmm. They're telling what they need. They're telling where the pain is. They're telling where it hurts. They're asking you to get it. Like, Look, let's get this. I need to feel better. I don't like mm -hmm. this. All night long, I asked my dad multiple times. I knew what he needed. I knew that pillow wasn't right. His body was. I knew what he needed. And yet, no, no. Nope, the entire time. So I think where they, where it starts with men is where we have taught them uh, that something's wrong with you crying, mm. that you don't talk about how you feel. Even growing up, we'll ask our daughters, how do you feel? How, how did that make you feel? She said, what do you, well, how did that make you feel? We're, we teach this to our daughters while our sons, like a man, straighten up, quit our like crying. We don't act like that. You know, mm. that maybe but more so in certain cultures than others. Nonetheless, if we can teach our men and encourage them uh, through scripture, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the whole Psalms is. The whole Psalms is David like, look, I don't like the way they talk to me. <laughs> I don't like what they said to me. I don't like how they treated me. This is how I feel about this. I feel anguish. My bones are shaking within me. I can't even sleep at night. This is a whole book, a song of him telling his feelings. So we could show in scripture that, you're supposed to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's not a woman's thing to, to speak up. You're supposed to mental health and mental illness is not a woman's thing. Obviously, it's not because that's what you see all through the Old Testament as these men suffering from mental health issues. I think giving them the platform to say, bruh, talk, speak up, tell how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if you won't say it even in this space, Get to someone that you can speak to yeah. in confidentiality, one on one, so that you won't have to suffer. Nope, nope, I'm fine. You can see something's wrong. Nope, I'm good. You, I see a tear in your eye. That's not a tear. Mm. <laughs> it's allergies. I know. I, you're right. It's allergies. It's onions. It's something. Anything. Right. Like yeah, I just I need to man up. I need to man up. It's like and and now that you're saying that, I'm thinking. But you know something? What the real? There's a song. Oh my gosh, this song's been going around in my head for days music soul child and it says i was told the true definition definition of a man was to never cry and it's something like work till you die got to provide always be around for my fam protect them by all means and give them the things that you need that that song oh my goodness that song has been going around in my head for days and then the chorus of it says teach me how to love girl i surrender my emotions to you girl I'm so lost yeah. Yeah. that is uh, and I never even stopped to think about uh, the relevance of what we're talking about and that song until you were just mentioning it but honestly that's music soul child song teach me how to love has been going around and around in my head for days and if we think about it the, it, the opening words of the song was I was told the true definition of a man was to never cry and basically working to provide for your family um teach me how to love basically I don't even know how so that talks about he doesn't know how to do anything but to man up and go out there and do it but then as a result he's not fulfilled not healthy because it's it's just it's 
it's just something that they can feel that there's something missing, some kind of void. But then, like you said, we've done boys the disservice of never allowing them or giving them that safe space. So they go into go into manhood, have literally like Atlas, the weight of the world on their shoulders and then no outlet for it. And then we wonder and are surprised by the statistics that, and the studies that men are more likely and are more likely and have in larger numbers taken their lives by suicide than women. And then, sorry, as I was saying that, but really, if we really allowed men to man up, it would be allowing them to embrace all aspects of them and not label it like, and I think a lot of times why men run away from it is because they label it, I'm in touch with my feminine side. No, you're just touch, you're in touch with another part of you. There's no, and I think that sometimes that does damage as well. Oh, he's in touch with his feminine side. Why does it have to be that way? Because that's just adding and creating to the have to man up so you don't get in touch with that part of you. And it's really not a feminine side. It's a God side. I'm going to say that again. Please it's do. really not a feminine side. It is a God side. And so you see in scripture, of course, we know that God is spirit and they who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And so when you see the attributes that God has given throughout scripture, he compares himself to a hen who would love to draw her children. He compares himself to being the many breasted one. And so what God has given us these emotions, these feelings for a reason. It's not a female thing. It's not a man thing. When it comes to these things, it's simply a God thing. He's put these things in us. And certainly even what you said, the pandemic has proved this to be even worse, especially for minorities, for African-American males. There were mm -hmm. double digit increases uh, when it came to suicide throughout the pandemic than before. There is a huge uh, discrepancy when it comes to suicide and minorities, of course, but especially minority males. And so mm -hmm. something has got to happen, something. Even when it comes to, have you heard people say it very often, um, in marriages or in relationships that men want respect and women want to be loved. Yeah, I don't know where does foolishness even come from. Like, hey, what? Huh? <laughs> okay. Now I've got a whole husband, <laughs> <laughs> a good husband, and my husband, of course, he wants respect. Mm -hmm. I want respect, and my husband wants me to love him. Yeah, and of course, I, where where do we get that men don't even want to be loved? That they, why come it can't be equal? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what even the, the thought that a man wants to be loved is something wrong with that. No, my husband desires. And I believe that my dad and many other men desire to feel love. And what is love but respect, mm -hmm. but honor, but caring, but meeting mm -hmm. someone's needs uh, emotionally and physically. Of course, they desire to be loved as well. But we even want to keep that separate. Like something's wrong with a man desiring love. What? And it's just, it's very strange because if we look at like all these love songs, most of them I think are written by men. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And especially the good old school ones, right? I, and, and I remember, I think I saw this post on social media. It says, if it's not that 90s R&B kind of love, I don't want it. Come on. Come so, on. Um, just, just, you know, again, putting that one out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. putting it out there and I want to turn to your book for a moment like I said I have my copy right here and in chapter two you talk about intrusive thoughts and intruding on your rest and your peace and suggesting making a list of what those intrusive thoughts are please excuse me please tell us about making the list and what to do with it and how to even start to formulate it 
Well, I think that so many times we have, even if it's not at night, you know, mm-hmm. that's the worst. Everything to me gets worse at night, whether it's sickness, mm-hmm. whether it's a cough, whether uh, it's intrusive thoughts. It all gets worse at night because that's the time that you're sitting still and you can actually deal with that thing, right? Mm-hmm. But the things that run across your mind, how many times we talk about th- taking things to God in prayer? How many times have thoughts just run past our mind again and again? And again, in different ways, in different forms, but maybe it's that in-law issue or maybe it's that issue on the job. How am I mm-hmm. going to handle that? How am I going to? And it keeps coming, but you keep letting it come and go and come mm-hmm. and go and you never deal with it. And so it's kind of like you're getting these red flags. Deal with me. I, I need you to deal with me. I need you to process me. I need you to work through me. I, I need you to to actually acknowledge that I'm here. And so when I say write those things down as you're taking it out of your head, and you're putting it in paper, mm. right? And so when I can get it out of here, then no, it no longer has control over me. Anything that I keep up here for too long eventually is going to become a whirlwind because there's a whole lot of other stuff up there. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking it out of here. I'm putting it into reality on paper. When I can see it on paper, then I can better problem solve what it is that I'm dealing with. And so now you, you no longer have control up here. We, we love to quote scripture, right? <laughs> Casting down. Let's cast it out of here mm-hmm. and put it here. Let's think on those things that are good, those things that are pure. If there be any virtue, right. praise. Think on these things the Apostle Paul says. So I'm taking it out of here, putting it here, and I'm now going to formulate some type of plan for whatever it is. Mm. I know you're real churchy people out here. Churchy <laughs> folk, you're going to formulate a plan, so let's make it real churchy for you. Seek the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. help you to formulate a plan for what has been coming and going and coming and going faster and faster to where you've not slept. Uh, when you do sleep, mm-hmm. you're having restlessness in your sleep. Uh, you're, you're constantly being wake up, woken up. You go to pee at 2 a.m. and you can't get back to sleep because those thoughts are yeah, so quick. You up anyway, baby, right? So let's so, let's get it out of here. So get it out of our head. So get, it out, get it out of our head and onto here. Journal it. Put it on a piece of paper. Write it down. Write it down and, and work through it. Some mm. things don't have to stay here. Some things we're just allowing just to overcome us and overwhelm us. When we can problem solve some things, let's mm. let's problem solve it. Let's work True. through it. Because everything that like you said, everything doesn't need to stay up in your head. It just just doesn't. And sometimes it's, and for me, I find, especially if I really want to give somebody a good telling off, but I know I can't, the thing for me to do to, to get it out so I'm no longer angry, I write it down. And I can turn into a keyboard warrior typing out this letter and I'm banging on that keyboard, almost like going 150 words a minute, steam coming off the keyboard. But the, by the moment I've gotten it out, Yes. I feel better than I can move on to the next thing. So that's basically what you're saying about these intrusive thoughts, right? Or these sorry, these intrusive thoughts, get them out of your head. Because yeah. some of them don't even need to stay there. Some of them are just taking up space. Let's just be honest. And get them out of your head, put it down on a piece of paper. And I think now that you've said that, we might be surprised when we look at it and like, is this really what's bothering me? Now? Really? I'm really allowing this? <laughs> when you put it, I'm like, really? Like, I remember there was somebody, I was having challenges with a person and I hadn't met them. <laughs> it was adorable. I'd never met the person. And I was just having challenges, having tra- challenges because there's like a lot of back and forth, back and forth. And eventually when I did meet them and I thought, Alison, are you really allowing this person to continually bother you? Like, why are you doing that? 
Like seriously, because when I met them, they were actually quite nice and sweet, very, very short though. And I was like, I think I stood like, uh, like over a foot taller than them. I'm like, Alison, behave yourself. Like, really? Like, why, why? Come on now, seriously. But I say that to say, sometimes when we just look at what the thing is, and that thing, you might not be able to physically look at it, but at least if you write it down and look at what it is, you could look at that and think, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're taking your power back. Yeah. Because any anytime we allow another person to make us feel some type of way, it's because we've given them power that they didn't ask for. They didn't ask for their power. Mm. You've made them a potentate. They didn't ask for that position. And so what we're doing in essence is taking our power back. I'll go back to the Psalms again. What is the Psalms? It's exactly what he did. He mm. took what was going on in here, what was keeping him up at night, what had him feeling in, ang- in anguish and anxiety and had mm. his heart palpitating. He took all that and put it on paper. <laughs> and then he sang a song about it. He I know. He sang a whole song about it. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's, a, it's an effort to mm. take the power back and mm. to problem solve some things that probably ain't even a problem. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. Sometimes when you write them down and you look at it, just like, Hold on, but there's an easy fix to this. Right, right. right. You know, and sometimes, I, and I think that's what we need to do to just logically work through things to get it out of the spaghetti that is in our mind at times. And like, because because our mind can sometimes be like a super highway with all the different roads and the turns and the bends and the constant and the traffic and constant going. And if we just stop and just take some of those and just still ourselves and write it down. Like you said, some of those things we'll realize are not even really a problem, not an issue. And we just can work through it. Some things, okay, are going to be bigger that are going to need help. But there are some things that we could possibly just eliminate by just getting it out of our heads and on there. And that can lead me into um, chapter four of your book, where it says the title of that chapter is with me like this, who needs enemies? So doesn't that kind of go in line with what you were saying about the intrusive thoughts? The thoughts are in my head. I'm allowing these thoughts to sit there and fester. Um, so with me like this, that goes to that expression of being our own worst enemy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and really that's, that chapter has everything to do with self-sabotage. It is having the wherewithal to um, put a knife in your own goals and a knife in your own dreams for some feelings of, for some reason, feeling unworthy or feeling not good enough or having a fear of success. And so to go back even to the very first portion of our conversation where we talked about many of us, you and I, I'll say, were raised in places where we felt as if uh, God was angry. Mm. And uh, he always, you know, he was, he was out to get us for those pants. He was, he was out to get us for makeup and he was out to get us for the very thought of going to a party or going to prom. He was out, he's angry. And so uh, when you've been reared in a way where you serve an angry God, Mm. who's ready at any time to throw a dart at you or a lightning rod at you, uh, then those feelings of anything that I do, I'm, I'm afraid that God is going to be angry with me. And so we begin this process of punishing ourselves. I believe that many of our fasting practices, I believe in fasting, but I believe that many of our fasting practices came from a desire to punish ourselves. (laughs) Two or three days. And we, you know, we feel it real weak and we're like, oh God, is this better now? Am, am I safe now that I'm I'm starving myself? (laughs) You know? Uh, Like you have to take some kind of penance. 
Uh, right, right. We, we've not whooped ourselves, but oh God, is, is this? That's not what fasting is supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. Fasting is yes to subdue the flesh so that we can get a better hearing from God, but it's not for the purpose of okay, have I have I starved enough? Am I good enough yeah. yet, God? That's not what it's about. Self-punishment. And as you're saying about self-sabotage, one of the things that contributes to self-sabotage is imposter syndrome. Because many of us, so many, and I say us, yeah. Is there something that we're struggling with? Not good enough. I I, I, I shouldn't be in these rooms or it's just all kinds of things that we feel that we're not worthy of or not good enough to achieve and then you mentioned that self-sabotage so how do we recognize that we're even self-sabotaging because I think some of us have been so used to doing it we don't even recognize that we are even doing it anymore so how do we recognize we're doing it and how do we stop most you know those two important things recognize it and maybe like deal with it and stop how do we do that Well, one of the best predictors of future behavior is past behavior. And so if I can look at my past and see those patterns, Mm -hmm. those patterns where I had this opportunity and I made sure that I cut it off. I I got this call and I made sure that I messed something up. This relationship was going great. And I made sure that I put a monkey wrench in it to Mm -hmm. be able to look at our past and see, wait a minute, is there a pattern of self-sabotage there? Is there something that I'm doing that every time something good happens, that I do something to undermine the good? I do something Mm -hmm. to mess up the scholarship. I do something to mess up the relationship, do something to mess up the promotion. Is there a pattern there? So first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at my past and Mm -hmm. I'm saying, wait a minute, are there any patterns there? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm blaming the devil, but is it the devil or is it the devil in me? (laughs) In other words... Not just blaming the devil. People tend to just not take responsibility and blame other people. Because especially like if we look at the thing, if you look at two things, relationships and our jobs, right? We can find, oh, it's the other person. They did this, they did that. And I mean, no, I know, you know, now thinking about it, there's a couple of people and I'm like, you know what? That sounds like they were self-sabotaging their relationships because they were in situations with good people. Next thing you know, it's gone and it's, over and everything is they did this they did this at no point in time was there ever a, re- a reflection to say you know something what did I do right, right. what did I do and I don't, and I think that is so key like you said to look at these patterns look at these behaviors and turn the, the spotlight inward for a moment because if Every negative thing that happens in your life is somebody else. Then I don't even know what to say to you. Stay away from people <laughs> because you're trying to tell me every single thing that's gone wrong in your life is as at the hands of somebody else. You never did anything to contribute to it in any way, shape, or form. And so the, the self sabotage is all to to deal with it. I think sometimes turning that light inward, where which many people don't actually really want to do because sometimes when you turn the light inwards, it's a little ugly in there. <laughs> a little? <laughs> I'm trying Let's to be kind. I'm, I'm trying to be kind. A, a little, little. <laughs> And that's for any of us. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how much you love Jesus, baby. When you turn that light on the inside, you begin to see your real humanity, your real, how you really feel about people that keep on peopling. Because <laughs> people don't people I'm just all day long. Just going to sip some tea here. 
<laughs> make it better. Make it go down. Like, oh, that's yeah. That's a <clears throat> spoonful of sugar to help that medicine go down. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but it's true because sometimes, and I think that's why people don't want to look at it and recognize it because sometimes to look inwardly and to look at ourselves, it's, it's not a good look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times in looking at ourselves, what I found in uh, counseling and mentoring is that a lot of people struggle. And the reason that self-sabotage is such a huge issue for them is because self-forgiveness is a huge issue. We, we know that God has forgiven us. We believe he moved it as far as the East is from the West. We know that he remembers it no more, but we should remember it. And so when you have not forgiven yourself for things that you've done, whether it be abortion, whether it be a, something that happened maybe when you were a child and you're blaming yourself for it, uh, you're, you're taking responsibility for what an adult did. And so when you don't forgive yourself, it's really easy to punish yourself. So, you know, God has, but you're a believer and you, and you love God, but you've not done the part of forgiving you. And, mm -hmm. and I challenge everyone that may be listening right now to, to look at your life and see, is there anything that I've done that I've really not forgiven myself for? That is generally the culprit when it comes mm -hmm. to self-sabotage. Yes, imposter syndrome, but even that imposter syndrome of I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. Or, I'm the least intelligent in the room or God mm -hmm. should have given them that gift and given them that call, not me. A whole lot of that even had to do with a lack of self-forgiveness. Mm, I like that. And that is something that I know, I think I put on my social media over the years, like forgive yourself, love yourself, be kind to yourself. The same way that you want to be forgiven and forgive other people. You've got to really start with yourself because part of me wonders, can we really 100% forgive others if we don't know how to forgive ourselves? And that's, and that's a question I often ask because we do live in that space of not forgiving ourselves. And we may not recognize that's what it is, but the reality is, isn't it? That's what it is. And it's interesting because you keep doing this, Stacey. I think people are going to think we planned this because you're leading very nicely into what I wanted to now talk to about chapter eight, weight problems. And it mentions about the two different types of weight that we carry, the offense caused to us, which is the weight that's been put on us, and then the offense we cause others, which then becomes the weight in us, right? And I like how you put that in your book, weight problems, because it talks, you know, because to me that goes nicely with the self-sabotage and the not forgiving yourself, because there's so many times if we have caused offense. And it's a weight within us. And then, yes, and many times, <clears throat> excuse me, we may have gone to the person and we've sought their forgiveness and apologized and asked, forgive me, forgive me. But then we still walk around with that weight of not forgiving ourselves because we did something. And, not, and sometimes I think we need to give ourselves grace that we are human. We all mess up. We don't always get it right 100% of the time. And the same way that we can forgive another person, forgive ourselves. So please elaborate some more on um, weight problems. Everybody wants to be the Esau. Everybody wants to say what Jacob did to me, what my father did to me, what my mother did to me. Nobody wants to say that 
you was a trickster. You was a problem. You you did this. You, mm-hmm. you have some accountability in this matter. And, and so when it comes to weight problem that own calls, um, that becomes a protuberance within us, when we don't deal with the weight, weight we all know can be very dangerous when we think about mm-hmm. physical weight and obesity yeah. and the problems that it can cause with sleep and the problems it can cause with a joint and the problems it can yeah. cause with the heart yeah. and the mm-hmm. same thing when it comes to own coast. It's the same thing when it comes to the weight problem. Um, mm-hmm. And so whether we are the Jacob, the one who has actually done the offense to someone, or whether we are the Esau, the one who has been offended, the one who has been the victim, regardless, it's got to be dealt with. And I dare say that all of us have been a Jacob and an Esau. A hundred percent. And that's exactly it. We've all offended and being offended. We've all, because that's just the natural process and cycle of life, isn't it? Nobody is going to go through life and never cause offense. Nobody is ever going to go through life and not be offended, but it's how you deal with it. It's how you then in turn process it and manage it. Do you, like you say, is it a weight problem where you just have it piled on and on and on? Next thing you know, you're hunched over because you've got all of this weight on you. Yeah. Or is it again, so, and then if you look at it in the terms of obesity, uh, are you just getting um, metaphorically obese because all this offense that is now on the inside of you that you're not letting, you're not releasing any of it, whether it be internal or external, right? Right. And then we wonder why it is that that it's hard for us to love and it's hard for us to get to the next place in our life. Because one thing about it, you can run all you want to, baby. You can run away from the job. You can run away from the person. But you always going to end up with you. When you go to bed, you always going to be in a bed with you. When you wake, and, and I say this, people who like to talk about the uh, Jacobs in their life, if Jacob stopped being Jacob and immediately turned to Israel, it take Bible for y'all to get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So let me put it this way. If Jacob stopped being the trickster mm-hmm. and started being the man that God has called him to be, if everything started working out with your children, your children overnight started mm-hmm. to behave wonderfully. It's a miracle. <laughs> if, if that spouse all of a sudden started to communicate effectively, if things were overnight wonderful at your job, but you were still you, would anything really change? Where's my tea? Hold on. <laughs> right if everything were perfect when i open my eyes in the morning wow this is everything i wanted i feel I'm uncomfortable here. in my seat stacy let's go in a little in my seat stacy like mm, i don't know and the reason that i say that because thank you is because um i was having a conversation with a friend of mine and i said listen I don't even, I don't agree with myself 100% of the time. So how am I going to agree with you 100% of the time? And then I think somebody else said something, something was happening. I said, listen, sometimes I I barely want to be in my own head. I'm not trying to get into anybody else's. Like, hello? No. (laughs) So as you say that, yes, if we are always going to be left with us. And sometimes, as we mentioned earlier, Turning that spotlight inwards, like, no, I'm okay, thanks, girl. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) There's something about um, the desire to lose weight is often a lot greater than the discipline to lose weight. And I'll say they're coming off the pandemic because, baby, I can't fit nothing. (laughs) But I have a desire to lose weight. 
because I can feel the difference. I can feel the difference when I walk. I can feel that everything don't feel the same, you know? Mm -hmm. What if not overwhelmed uh, my discipline to lose weight? Now, now that's in the natural, right? Mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. you to think about this emotionally. We all want to get better. We yes. all want to feel better. We all want to love better. We all want to communicate better. We all want to forgive better. But that desire... To make that to overcome the discipline to where now discipline is, is bigger than the desire, that's a whole nother level because it requires mm -hmm. work. It requires self-insight. It requires looking at me in the mirror naked and, and, and seeing the circumference of my weight and what caused the weight. And, and is there anything that I need to change in my diet, in my relationships? Is there anything I need to cut off? There you go. Is there anything? So I know that the sugars need to cut, be cut off. The carbs need to be cut off. But what about my relationships? Are there any toxic relationships that for this weight to get better? Look, she's drinking her tea. That I need to cut off, that I need to let go and say, uh, not in this season, baby. This can't happen because I'm losing weight. A hundred and you can. Listen, sometimes we're just carrying all of this weight and dragging. And you mentioned there's a couple of things. So I written a book called pack your luggage but leave your baggage and one of them it was me mentioning but I was a passenger we were driving from Miami to Tampa and I was watching all of these vehicles with all of these things hitched to the back of them I was thinking my gosh the extra energy and the extra fuel and the extra care and attention it takes to carry those things that are hitched to us and it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with when whether whether it be a relationship yes. or anything or people in our lives. Because I remember um I said to somebody, the same way you can have toxic relationships, you can have toxic friendships. That's and sometimes we have friends around us that listen, that friend doesn't mean you well, that friend doesn't mean you any good, but because of that desire to belong. And going back to people feeling that need to be loved, because there's that desire within us to be belong and be loved. That's so therefore we're around toxic people. If we look at they say that men just want to be respected and when women want to be loved. This is what just came to my mind as we're talking about this. How do people you've got more boys that join gangs than girls, right? Why do they join the gangs? Because they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a place, or they call it their warped, misguided way of loving, right? So if we look at that, everybody has that inherent desire to want to belong and be loved. However, many people can be that poster child for looking for love in all the wrong places. All the wrong, and I've been there, done that. I got a few t-shirts if you want them. <laughs> I think we've all been there. We've all done that. And it, it makes a difference. Think about it. You mentioned that uh, the uh, carrying all the different um, components to some type of train. When you run out of steam and you run out of gas, everything you've allowed to attach to you, even things that maybe were trying to mean well, you, you're stopping everybody. And so you do yourself and others a disservice when mm. you continue to allow things to attach to you that, that's not good for you or unnecessary or it is not a part of this season in your life. But 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 I refuse to let my yes be yes and my no be no. Mm -hmm, so everything's mm -hmm. a yes. So I'm allowing you on here. Now, you don't stop everybody's journey. Yeah, <laughs> yes, so yes. it's important for others as well for us to lose that weight. Mm. For your own sake, you got to go. Yeah, right. hundred percent. And we spoke about this earlier, and I want to touch on it again. So as a school psychologist, how do you work with young people to ensure 
that they don't take unresolved childhood hurts into their future so that it doesn't impact on their future actions. Because we did touch on this before as to the reason why a lot of people in adulthood suffer from mental illness because it's things that have not been dealt with in as in from their past as children. How do you work with children to help them not to break those kinds of cycles so they don't carry things forward into adulthood? Well, think about it. You can't always break that cycle in that moment because many of the students that I deal with, uh, they're still in that home where the abuse is happening or where the neglect is happening, uh, they're still in that place. And so there's no breaking the cycle now. What we do then is not only are you building up that person's sense of self-worth, but in addition to that, you're teaching coping. I'll say, I, I love to preach coping and calm. If I can get over a pulpit and preach coping <laughs> and calming skills, I would do so. You're mm -hmm. teaching them how to handle stress so that stress won't handle them. When you think about stress, you think about the adult that has bills to pay. You think about the adult mm -hmm. that has a car bill, car bill, light bill due, baby need a new pair of shoes. Rarely do you think about the nine-year-old who's in a home witnessing his mother be beat. Rarely do you think about the mm -hmm. eight-year-old who's in the home and their father is in prison and they don't have another male figure and their parent is working, their mother's working two jobs to take care of them. Rarely do you hear about the child whose mother is not involved in their life has no desire to be involved. You don't think about that. You think about the adult. But these babies are experiencing stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. stress can kill. It can kill emotionally. It can affect you academically. It affects you socially. It can affect your physical health. And mm -hmm. so teaching them how to uh, cope and calm, self-regulate those emotions. Because that stressful situation it's going to, when you leave the school, you're going back into that. You're going into mm. food insecurity. You're going into homelessness. We're talking about real life here. We like to get real churchy, but baby, we're talking about life. These babies are going home to homelessness. They're mm -hmm. going home to, uh, to food insecurity. They're going home perhaps to domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and seeing a whole lot of stuff. And so to teach them that in these stressful situations, you can self-regulate, you can ground mm -hmm. yourself. You, you, there are some strategies that you can use that can help you to be better in that stressful situation, in that um, stressful situation that an adult may not even be able to deal with. Mm -hmm. You can learn to self-regulate. You can learn to calm. You can learn to soothe. You can even the strategies that we talk about in regard to um, do, do you want to do it now? Do, do you want to do one of those now in regard to the deep breathing? Yeah, let's do that. And so I, I did this with a young lady. And of course, there are many deep breathing strategies. But this is one that she told me really worked for her when she was going back and forth with the parents. She said, I left the room like you told me. I, I, I tried to leave the situation. And she just came in my room and started cursing me out. I, I, I did everything you said. And so what I did was I finally did the uh, breathing and, and breathing in and out with my cookies. <laughs> Sounds silly, but we're going to do it anyway. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, y'all, let's get ready. Now, when I say breathe in, I'm meaning breathe in through the nose. And when I say breathe out, y'all churchy, let's say ruach because they make you feel better. The breath of God. They make you feel better because you're so churchy. You can't do this without being churchy. So let's be churchy for you. Breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. These shoulders should not be moving. This is all about the diaphragm. It's all about the belly, all right? So in through the nose, out through the mouth. So let's imagine this. You walk into your mother's house, our grandma's house. Let's say grandma, because you know grandma really cooked better than mother. So you walk into grandma's house and she has made some freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. 
soon as you walk in the door, you smell those cookies, all right? And so you're going to breathe in that smell to the count of five. Now, the cookies are too hot for you to eat. So you're going to breathe out and blow that cookie off to the count of five, all right? And you're going to stop to the count of five, all right? So we're going to do this together. In through the nose, out through the mouth. We're walking into grandma's house, those freshly baked cookies hit our nose. We're going to breathe it in. One. That's it. Hold it there. Going to blow that cookie off. It's too hot. Now hold it there. And we're going to release. That's it. If it's as simple as you breathing in that cookie, it smells so good, you're blowing it off because it's too hot, taking a rest and doing it again. Sometimes it helps with actually being able to do a four square circle, mm -hmm. square and then the circle breathing. They're all different kinds. You can Google this stuff to help ground you in that moment because when you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain, you're not making good decisions. Mm -hmm. If I'm not breathing well, I'm not problem solving well. I'm being reactive rather than proactive. proactive. So mm -hmm. when I learn how to breathe through a situation, even for an eight-year-old, 25-year-old, 45-year-old, I'm making better decisions because the blood is flowing and the oxygen is getting to my brain. I can think better now and then I can problem solve through it. Mm. And one of the points that I was going to speak to you about is what coping and calming strategies would you advise for someone who might be feeling anxious or depressed? So that is exactly, exactly one of the things that I wanted to ask you to share with us. But finally, before we go, Stacey, I want to ask you, because many people might say, OK, yeah, yeah, you all have talked a lot, but speak of your own experience, your own mental health journey and that of your father. How did you go from mental health to mental wellness? Oh, baby, it was a process. I, um, I grew up feeling abandoned. Um, I remember him calling me on my birthday and I was like, wow, my dad remember my birthday. He said absolutely nothing about it. I mean, something that he needed, something with my mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just devastated. And so I carried that. I carried that feeling abandoned. I uh, experienced depression. I experienced suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. I would not be speaking with you today um, had I followed through with feelings. That's another thing you got to be careful of. Mm -hmm. we, we get feelings confused with facts and feelings yeah. confused with faith. Mm -hmm. And so it really was that process of beginning to go into the field of psychology. That's why I went into psychology. That's why I went to school for that, so that I could better understand my dad. And uh, even after that, experiencing some things that had me in a complete state of depression, realizing, wait a minute, I'm having a hard time even praying. And you mm -hmm. don't feel me unless you've been there. So don't even say that unless you've been there, because you have no idea what I'm talking about, where you're so depressed your prayer life is affected. You're so depressed, you can't communicate and think straight the way that you would. And so mm -hmm. I actually took antidepressants for a period of time. And because of those antidepressants uh, and the Lord allowing them to work, I know you're churchy people, the Lord allowed it to work, the Holy Spirit let it work. And because the Holy Spirit allowed that to work for that period of time, I was able to communicate. My prayer life increased. I was able to get to the place where I could have a straight thought uh, without life happening to me rather than me happening back to life, right? Mm -hmm. Me taking punches and not giving any punches. And so that, that process from a child that affected me so much, uh, things like being locked in the, in the 
closet for singing. My dad, I, when I was about four and five years old, locked me in the closet for singing. I keep falling in love with him, falling in love with him over and over again. That had me uh, almost in a place of self-sabotage and imposter where I'm not supposed to sing. I'm not supposed to speak. I'm not mm -hmm. supposed to say anything. I had to break through those barriers um, and deal with me, deal with mm -hmm. not just the past, but deal with how this shaped me. And then allow myself to be reshaped by the love of God, reshaped by the word of God, reshaped with some therapy, reshaped mm -hmm. with talking some things out. And so whatever's happened to you that shaped you, it's possible to reshape. Mm. Trauma changes even the, the way the brain looks. It, it changes uh, literally the brain. And so we can reshape that by walking through trauma allowing ourselves to process it, allowing ourselves to face it and deal with it as frightening as it may be. Mm -hmm. And so that's my journey. And I'm at a place, baby, where I'm ready to help other folks. Call me Harriet Tubman. <laughs> I'm ready to pull others to oh, their places. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much because I know sometimes it's people think, yeah, but it's all well and good to talk about mental health and all the things, but how do people manage how have people that have experienced it gotten through it so thank you so much for your transparency and your vulnerability in wanting to share that because as a stress management therapist I say to people the saying stress kills isn't just a saying it's a reality because stress can actually kill you so if we are able to just provide people with resources and tools that they need to be able to just get through day after day, then I think, as the song says, our living is not in vain, right? So, <laughs> Stacey, I just really want to thank you for your book. And if you haven't gotten it, the book is called The Gospel of Mental Health, From Mental Health to Mental Wellness by Stacey McDonald. Here's my copy right here. I'm not just saying this, I have my own copy. <laughs> and as you can see, I've got bookmarks in it. I've read it. <laughs> So please go out, buy this book. It will be a great resource. I'm going to put the, the link to your website in the description, Stacey, so anybody can reach out to you if they need to find out more information, just get more help. It will all be there ready and, ready and available. So Stacey, before I go, so what is next for you? You've got a book, you are a, an author, a public speaker, an evangelist. Uh, school psychologist what's next next is continuing my conferences I had my first one on December the 3rd and it was absolutely amazing God outdid himself with that conference it was called uh, of course the gospel of mental health the next one is going to be called um, state of the mind it's going to be the first Saturday of December this uh, 2023 so to continue those conferencing mm -hmm. continue going to churches and, and having workshops and of course being in seminary uh, my next step is to just to go deeper into the word of God uh, to further be able to explain and express and live out the love of God towards others excellent and Stacey where can people find you Social media, my handles are pretty much Stacey McDonald Ministries. And so uh, Facebook, Stacey McDonald Ministries, YouTube, Stacey McDonald Ministries, Instagram, Stacey McDonald Ministries. But you'll get a one-stop shop at www 
thegospelofmentalhealth.org. Um, and that you'll find my book. You'll find a workbook that accompanies it uh, that is a great companion for it. In addition to that, you'll see all kind of resources regarding screeners for depression, uh, for anxiety, for balance in life. A lot of times we forget the positive. For balance, uh, you'll find many resources for um mental health crisis mm -hmm. all that's a one-stop shop right there at www.thegospelofmentalhealth.org excellent thank you so much stacy it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you sharing with you and learning from you i just want to thank you again for joining us here on conversations with allison j the journey to here thank you so much stacy thank you god bless you bye-bye Thank you for spending time with us. We're already looking forward to the next episode of This is Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Here. Until next time, honor, respect, and blessings to you all. If you want to connect, visit allisonj.net. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-J-A-Y-E.net. Allison with one L, as she is the one and only.